multiple relationships. Now, <clears throat> what does the Bible say? What, what does the Bible say about, you know, when we, when we talk about multiple relationships, our minds automatically go to polygamy, right? And in fact, Joy asked me the other day, said, what are you preaching Sunday? What, what, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I said, multiple relationships. She said, oh, polygamy. So we just automatically go uh, there. We just automatically, and, and, and look, we think, we think, well, whew, this is not going to apply to me. Well, let me tell you something. It may be closer to home than you think it is. In fact, I have a friend who has more than one wife, and, and he doesn't live in Utah. So it's closer than, than we might think, and, and we're going to look at how we can uh, get there. Uh, it, it, look, and I don't know how that works out for him because I know Jesus said you can't serve two masters. So see, I can say that in here. Joy's out doing the coffee and doing that thing. <laughs> in fact, these two little boys went to a wedding, and, and after the wedding they were in the reception, and... and uh, one of them said to the other, said, uh, you're listening, aren't you? <laughs> one, of, one of them said to the other, said, I, I wonder <clears throat> how many wives can you have? And without hesitation, the other one said, 16. He's like, 16, how do you know? He's like, well, you didn't hear the preacher. He said, you could have four better, four worse, four richer, four poorer. That's 16. <laughs> I don't know about that. But the first mention, and that's an important principle in Bible study, and one of the things that we as your pastoral staff, when we're sitting down and we're just searching the Word and we're, we're seeking God for these, one of the things we, we always do is we, we always go back and we say, what's the first time God ever brings up a subject in the Bible? Because that's important. And we see that the first, the first mention of this thing called polygamy or multiple wives is in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 19. And so what's happening in the world? That what's happening? Uh, during this time is sin is, is being escalated in the world. In fact, uh, the first murder takes place, and then right after that, okay, right after that, it says this, and Lamech took unto him two wives. The, the, the name of uh, uh, the one was Aden, the name of the other was Zillah. So here we are with sin beginning to, to, to grow, <clears throat> to expand in, in, in creation. We, we find that this guy takes two wives. Now, now compare that to Genesis 2.24 where it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, all of the nouns in here are singular. One man plus one woman equals one flesh, okay? That's God's desire. That, that's his design. Now, in Deuteronomy 17 uh, we see the only explicit command against polygamy. And, and, and what's happening here is God is giving instructions to the children of Israel. He's leading them out of Egypt and, and leading them toward the land of promise. And God is saying there's going to come a time when you're going to want a king. Okay, And when you want that king, it's not the best for you, but I'm going to let you have a king. And, and so, but, but, but when you get a king, he, he, here's the deal. L listen. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart turn not away. Now, you know that's exactly what happened. And if you read the life of Solomon, you'll find that he had something like 700 wives and 300 concubines. And can you, can you just imagine 
some of the <laughs> some of the discussion that took place around the dinner table. I mean, my goodness. But that's exactly what happened as we're told that most of Solomon's marriages were really for convenience. Listen, Solomon was not a warrior like his daddy David. Solomon, Solomon was a lover, not a fighter, right? And so it was just easy for him to marry a potential adversary's sister or, or daughter or, or in-law or outlaw or something that, you know, to, to make alliance with them. But what happened is we see in Solomon's life that what happened is it turned his heart away from God. Listen. And you can read 1 Kings 11 to find out. But, but, but here, here's what the Bible says, okay? There is no instance where multiple relationships is spoken of in a positive light in Scripture. It's just not there. And the primary problem with polygamy, say that three times real fast, the primary problem with polygamy is, is that it... It's just not possible. It's just not possible for one man to be one flesh with more than one wife. I mean, uh, it's just not possible. There's just no way he can be fully committed to multiple wives. Now, as we were studying this, uh, here, here's what we saw. I, I, you know, learned a few things about this, at where, uh, uh, about just the definition of things. Polygamy really means multiple spouses, okay? And, and then <clears throat> this thing called polygamy is, is a man that has multiple wives. Polandry is, is women, women having multiple husbands. Bigamy is a man with two eyes, and polymorous means what we would consider today open relationships. Now, none of these definitions match what God says that the structure of marriage ought to be. None of them. And you can look, you can read through Scripture, Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, man, it's, polygamy is never spoken of in a positive light. Let's look at the consequences as revealed in Scripture. Abraham, it led to the bitterness between uh, Sarah and Hagar. Remember, God made a promise to Abram, and it just wasn't happening fast enough. And, and, and so Sarah took a concubine and said, Look, uh, go, go fulfill God's promise with Hagar. Folks, we're still reaping the, reward, the, the consequences of that today. And, and then in, in the life of Jacob, it led to, uh, to Rachel's jealousy of Leah and, and to Joseph being sold uh, into slavery by, by his brothers. And in David, it led to the rape of, of one of his daughters by one of his sons and ultimately another son murdered that. I mean, man, it's just, it's just a mess as you read through it. And Solomon's many wives turned away his heart from the Lord. So just because the Bible mentions it doesn't mean that it's okay with God, okay? So, so what, what does the Bible say? You say, whoo, pastor, man, I'm glad I don't have to worry about that. Man, I can't even, I can't even handle that wife I got, much less get another one, right? I, I mean, I could never do that. Well, let me tell you something. My friend didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I think I'll just go get another wife today. 
it's, 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 man, as the song said, it's a slow fade. So, so that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that multiple relationships are not good. And so the next question then is, what does the Bible say to me? What, what, what is the Bible saying to me? <clears throat> now, here's the deal. Today, you don't have to actually carry it out in a physical way. Today, you can have multiple relationships virtually. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. It has never been easier in the history of mankind to have multiple relationships than right now, than today. You remember a few months ago, there was this thing about this Ashley Madison thing. Apparently, it's some kind of a website where you can click on to and have an extramarital affair. You can have multiple relationships. I know a, a pastor, denominational leader, who didn't, when he heard about it, he just went to that website to check it out, to see what it was all about. And as a result of that, he wound up getting sucked into that. And falling from that. Folks, let, let, me, let me tell you something. It's never been easier. It's never been easier to, to have multiple relationships through pornography. There was a time when you had to walk into the 7-Eleven. Walk up to the, the clerk at the register. And ask her for the magazine that was hidden behind the counter. Today... It's in our pocket. It's in our pocket. It's so easy. It's, 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 it's never been easier than it is right now. Let me just give you a few stats. I, I don't want to blow you away. You can, you can you know, bore you with them, but you can look them up yourself. The porn industry generates about $13 billion a year in the United States alone. Follow the money. <laughs> $13 billion. That's unbelievable. Porn doesn't have a demographic. It goes across all demographics. You know, we're a church who, who, who our, our mission and our vision is to reach across uh, 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 yeah, two denominational lines, ethnic lines, social barriers, it, all of those things. But, but I'm telling you, pornography does that. Reaches across them all. Doesn't have it. In the church, listen to this. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month in the church. Nine out of ten boys are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. 90%. 51% of male and 32% of female students first viewed porn before their teenage years, 12 and younger. Folks, and those who have ever committed adultery in a physical sense are 218% more likely to look at pornography. Folks, I'm telling you, it has never been easier to have multiple relationships than it is right now. Now, what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5? Listen to what he says. 
you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of the body than for your whole body to go to hell. Jesus said, if it's in your mind, if it's in your heart, it's the same. Listen to what the message says in verses 27 and 28 of that fifth chapter. He says, you know the next commandment pretty well too. Don't go to bed with another spouse, but don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Man. Now, listen to me. This doesn't mean that if you thought about it, you ought to go ahead and act on it, right? I mean, this mind can justify anything. And you know, we can shake our heads and we can talk about how terrible that is. And we can say, oh my, we can wring our hands and say, oh my, man, this, this place is going to hell in a handbasket. Or we can engage our culture to make a difference. Let, let me tell you something, parents. You cannot completely isolate your children from this. You cannot completely isolate yourself from this. And so we had better learn how to live a functional life in a dysfunctional world. We had better learn how to cope with this and to, and to deal with this. And, and let me tell you something. Our heart is pastors. And we get together multiple times a week and we, we seek what God is saying and, and what God is saying to us and what God wants us to say to you. And, and we don't just get a burr under our saddle and go, go find some scripture to support that, but, but we get together and we say, God, what are you saying? What are you saying to us as pastors? What do you want to say to your church at Family of Grace? And our heart as pastors is not to just simply preach loud and long about how we ought not get involved in this, but, but to help you put some tools in your tool box so that you can learn how to live a functional life in this dysfunctional world that's our hearts and that's what we want to do and the good news is God's book is not just an ought to book but God's book is a is a how-to book and he tells us how we can function in this dysfunctional world and so the Bible says multiple relationships are not good that's what the bible says what the bible says to me is it can happen to me <laughs> it can happen to you and it can happen in our mind and in our heart but what does god want me to do about it see that's the question what does god want me to do about it 
He wants you to do what it takes. And we read that in Matthew chapter 5 where he says, cut it off and and throw it from you. The the Greek context here is to to sacrifice in order to be delivered, in order to be rescued. I mean, this is extreme, man. This is talking about extreme measures to sacrifice to allow God to give you the victory regarding those relationships and purity in your life. Listen to Galatians chapter 1, 3 and 4. Grace to you. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, watch this, so he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Rescue us. What does God want me to do? God wants me to live in purity. God wants you to live in purity. Let's read this in Matthew 5, 29 and 30. This is from the message. It says, let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. <laughs> if you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful ear. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a, a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. What's Jesus talking about here? He's talking about purity. He's talking about living in purity. First Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. What is purity? Purity is not perfection, thank God. <laughs> purity is not perf- That's a relief, isn't it? The purity is not perfection. But it means to be guiltless. To be blameless. In First Timothy, Paul is talking about how Pastors and bishops and elders are to live a blameless life. It doesn't mean that you won't ever be blamed. Even Jesus was blamed, right? It just means there's nothing there for it to stick to when it's thrown at you. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart. You see, at the heart of the issue is an issue of the heart. Remember a few weeks ago in the last couple of weeks how Pastor Brad's just been walking us through about the hardness of the heart. The hardness of the heart. Purity is more than just abstaining from physical sexual intercourse. Impurity means lustful thoughts, things that we watch. That's what Jesus said. If you're just even looking. Sex was created for marriage. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Leave and cleave. (laughs) Man, if you're cleaving to one woman, you don't have room for multiple relationships. Sex was created so that the husband and wife could become one flesh, not... Husband and wife, okay, husband and wife, husband, not boyfriend and girlfriend, husband and wife. God's design was for the sexual relationship to be a beautiful experience between a husband and a wife. 
a husband and a wife. And he put in us this strong desire. And because it is so strong is why it is so easily perverted. And so how does sex before marriage ruin God's purpose? Sex outside of marriage has helped create the mess that we live in today. And it gives away part of your soul becoming one. Do you really want your spouse to be behind a long line of others that you've shared your body with? Does enormous mental damage. And studies show that most abortions, most abortions are done by unwed mothers. My goodness. So what does God want me to do? What does God want you to do? He wants you and me to live in purity. And not only that, but he wants us to live within the boundaries. And so how do I set up boundaries and, and undo the damage that, that, that maybe has already been done? Well, the good news is God's grace is overwhelming. And it is extended to, to all of us every day. And what we need to do is just reach out and accept it. Uh, man, we, we live this Christian life just like we enter into that initial relationship with Jesus Christ uh, by grace through faith. Grace is God saying, you don't deserve this, but I love you so much I'm giving it to you. And, and faith is reaching up saying, God, I don't deserve it, but I'm receiving what you're giving. Mm. Pastor TJ mentioned it earlier, First John 1, 9. He says that if we'll confess our sins and turn from them, repent of them, that he is faithful and just to forgive us. I'm glad that's in there, don't you? I'm glad that's in there. When we repent of our sins, that means we... Re repent doesn't mean that you feel sorry you got caught, okay? Repent means that you do a 180. That you turn and you walk the opposite way. He wants us to live within boundaries. Let me give you some examples. First Timothy says, I mentioned it a while ago, a bishop then must be blameless. The, the husband of one wife, and that doesn't mean one at a time, okay, or one and done. I did a study on that many years ago about what, what does that really mean, that, that husband of one wife. And, and basically it can be summed up by, by this statement, a one-woman kind of man. That's what it's talking about. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wife, even as, as Christ also loved the church and, and gave himself for it. And so I am to love my wife as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He was crucified uh, for it. And so you know what? I am to crucify my rights. I wasn't given the right to be happy. I was given the calling to be holy. That's where that authority and obedience thing comes in. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with couples that said, but pastor, I have a right to be happy in the mind. No, you really don't. <laughs> you have a calling to be holy. Yeah. 
So I'm to do whatever it takes. That's what Jesus said. I'm to crucify my mind. And you know why? Because this mind can justify anything. It can do it. I'm to crucify my eyes. You see, I can't always help what I see, but but I can help what I continue to look at or, or what I make provisions to see. I'm to crucify my lips. I've got to be careful with my speech. And I'm telling you that today it is so easy because we will, we will say things in an email or in a text that we would never say face to face. You will say things to a coworker or, man, conversations with wait staff or clerks in the store. Our hands have got to be crucified. That's talking about inappropriate touching. And, you know, I love our church because, as, as Joy, we were talking one time, and, and Joy said, well, there's one thing about family or grace. If you show up, you're going to get loved on whether you want to or not. And there's about a 99% chance or better that you're going to get hugged if you come in this place. But there's got to be some boundaries. There's got to be some boundaries. Our feet has got to be crucified. Don't go where the danger is. And so we pray and we ask God for strength because we can't do it on our own. And, and, and look, I just want to give you some practical things. And this is real life stuff. Maybe you need an accountability partner that, that you just call when the temptation comes. Say, so, man, I'm struggling. If you struggle with, with pornography, then... Then, then maybe you need to stay off the internet or, or, or at least have somebody there with you when you're doing it or, or get a filter or, or something. Be proactive. There's something you can do. Stay in the Word. Be proactive. Avoid the situations. And so God wants us, what He's saying to you and me is to live in purity, live in boundaries. But more than that, He wants us to live in victory. In victory. And you say, Pastor, what if I've already crossed the line? What if I've already, you, you know, broken the boundaries? What if I've already, what if I've already there? I, I don't know what to do. Well, let me tell you something. A stumble doesn't have to be a fall. A stumble doesn't have to be a fall. And a fall doesn't have to be a fatality. And a fatality doesn't have to be final. That's the good news for you and me today. It, listen, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Look, it's not a sin to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. But the good news is you don't have to focus on the temptation. Look for the way out. God says, he promises right here in this verse that with every temptation comes an escape hatch. Look for the escape hatch. Look for the way out. Romans 6 says, knowing this, that our old man 
is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Folks, here's what I'm talking about. Before there could ever be a resurrection, there has to be a crucifixion. This is talking about dying in Christ. Being crucified with him. Before you can know the power of Christ... You've got to first know the death of Christ before we can know His life. We've got to know His crucifixion. And even if you think you've gotten to the point of no return, I've got good news for you today because we serve a God who loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. That's the kind of God we serve. We serve a God who loves to turn temptation into triumph. We serve a God who loves to turn hopelessness into hope. We serve a God who loves to turn a broken past into a bright future. So don't be ashamed to get the victory. Because I'm telling you, there's some folks here who want to help you. And in closing, I want you to know that as your pastors, we will unashamedly preach what the Bible says. All of it. All of it. But we do not do so with the spirit of condemnation. But with a heart of compassion. Because there's hope. What is God saying to me? Well, he's got a design on your life. He's got a desire for you. What is he saying to you? That he loved you so much that he put some boundaries in your life not to imprison you but to protect you and what does he want you to do about it he wants you to live in purity he wants you to live within those boundaries but he wants you to live in the victory